0: get out our Bibles and let's get to work this morning uh, back in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, For those of you who are following along, pull out your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, if you are in your scripture journals, uh, you're going to skip ahead a little bit this morning uh, to the page that looks like this. It's got a picture and it looks like like that on, on, the, on the picture there in your scripture journals. Uh, if you're brand new and you're like, what is he talking about? Uh, we have these scripture journals that we created to go along with this series in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we have a few extra back there on the sound booth. You are more than welcome to hop up and go grab one of those. It's a chance for you to kind of just journal along and, and write notes on as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount together. Together, uh this morning so matthew 6 is where we're going to be now for those of you who have been following along you're like wait that's not where we left off and you are correct that is not where we left off uh, we we are skipping ahead and don't worry we will come back we're going to come back we're going to finish the section that we're in we're going to skip ahead this morning to the next section of the sermon right so jesus has been in this section where he has been dismantling he's been dismantling the righteousness of the Pharisees, okay, he moves into a new section at the beginning of chapter 6, coming right out of that, moving into a new section at the beginning of chapter 6, where he begins to, in the same vein, talking about the righteousness of the Pharisees, talks about how, man, this righteousness, okay, it's all a big show, so they've created their own sense of righteousness, he breaks that apart, he says, it's all really just a show anyways, It's not not genuine. It's not real. It's just just designed to make them look better than they are. So everything we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks flows out of chapter 6, verse 1, which reads this way. This is important to understand the context. It'll be up here on the screen. It says this. Beware, Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness. Practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus, right out of the gate, he gives you kind of the, the big idea of what he's going to be talking about for the rest of this chapter, the rest of this section. He's going to give three things, but he says, beware of practicing your righteousness, doing these things that make you look righteous um, in order to be seen by other people. The, the reality is, is that it, it may be made in your place of work, okay? There are things in your place of work, that are valued. And when, when you see that in a coworker, when you see that in a person, you say, that's what I want to see. Or that's what your boss wants to see. That's what the company wants to see. That's what your organization wants to see. And so it's designed, communities are designed to, to value certain things. We value certain things here at Flourishing Grace. Whether you realize it or not, we actually value the righteousness of Christ in your life. You should value the righteousness of Christ in your life. Hopefully and prayerfully, you value the righteousness of Christ in your life. We want people, we talk about this all the time, and the the path of flourishing, the goal, the goal is to live a life that is so marked by the gospel of Christ that we begin to be transformed into his likeness. As Paul says, from one degree of glory to another, we are being transformed into his very likeness. Your life should look like the life of Christ. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. And so if people see that righteousness, in you, that righteousness of Christ in your life, it should, it should stir them up to love and good works. It should stir them and motivate them to do the same, to cling to Christ all the more, to, to be all the more fervent in prayer and fervent in the Word. This is a good thing. But in the same way, in the same way, it could be faked. When you know that the culture around you wants something from you, that there's, a, there's a value of, of what something somebody should look like. Our human tendency is to try to look like that without, without, without ever becoming that. To, to earn the accolades, to hear the applause, to receive the praise without ever actually becoming that thing. If you don't believe me, just look at social media. Social media has exploded in our day in just the past 10 years is exploded because we can be somebody that we're actually not. The world can look at us and see somebody who we're actually not. They can see all of our pretty parts and all these fake things about us that are not deep and genuine and real, but we get to kind of portray this perfect perfect person. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness to be seen by other people. There is something within us that says, man, I want people to think that I'm better than I actually am. That's true in your place of work. It's true in with your friendships. And whether you realize it or not, it's true right here in this room. You want people to think that you're better than you actually are. You want people to think that you're more holy than you actually are. Jesus says, if that is true of you, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And he goes on and he gives kind of three buckets for this, okay? We do this in our giving, he says, and we're not going to talk about that this morning, but we are going to talk about that, all right? Don't worry, okay? We're going to get there. We do this in our giving, we do this in our prayers, and we do this in our fasting, right? We want people to think that we give more than we actually do, right? Or 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 we just want to brag about how much we give. Uh, We want to do this in our prayers. We want to pray big prayers with big words. We want people to think, oh, man, look how spiritual she is. Oh, my gosh. Like, she's so eloquent in her prayers. She's just a good prayer. Like, what does that mean to be a good prayer? That you have fancy words? No, we'll get there. Not today. Um, This morning, we're going to talk about fasting. Talk about fasting. Whether you realize it or not, uh, today is the first Sunday of what's called Lent. Lent is the oldest Practice within the liturgical calendar or the church calendar. Okay, it's the oldest practice within the church calendar. It's it's almost two thousand years old. For almost two thousand years, uh, the church has been practicing something called Lent. Or it, and now it hasn't always looked the way that it looks today. In fact, it's in fact it's looked much different than it looks today. Um, but we've been practicing this for almost two thousand years now. This season, this period of time before Easter, leading up to Easter. Traditionally now, 40 days leading up to Easter, um, beginning with what's called Ash Wednesday, which was last Wednesday. This past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. And on Ash Wednesday, the tradition of the church is to, um, to kind of go in to kind of begin this, this process together together. Uh, where you gather together, and, and traditionally, there is a uh, with ash, there's a mark placed in the shape of a cross on someone's head. You guys have seen this before. And the saying in that moment, when this is happening, the saying is, remember, you are dust, and to dust you will return. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You see, all of Lent flows out of that statement. Lent is the season of preparation of the heart. We are reminded for 40 days that apart from Christ's completed work in his death and his resurrection, there's nothing good in us. It's just dust. It's just dust. What do I have to offer? Nothing. There's, not, there's no substance There's nothing real. There's nothing lasting. There's nothing genuine. I have nothing to actually offer my boys. I have nothing to actually offer my spouse. I have nothing to offer my friends. It's just dust. Apart from Christ's completed work, there's nothing in me. There's nothing that you need to, 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 there's nothing that you would ever want from me. There's nothing I have to ever offer you. It's meaningless. It's so temporary. It's so finite. And to dust, we we will return. And so Lent, this season of preparation, as we kind of prepare our hearts for Easter, right, we, we drive ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into this reality so that when we come to Easter, it's just all the more sweet. And Easter is sweet. We love Easter, right? Everybody loves Easter. How can you not love Easter, right? There's, there's like peanut butter filled eggs, okay? There's Peeps. And even if you don't like Peeps, right, it's still entertaining to put them in the microwave. There's chocolate covered Peeps. There's all kinds of fun things that happen on Easter, right? There's Easter clothes you get to wear. It's like, it's all good. Everybody loves Easter. But how much more sweet is Easter when for 40 days your heart has been set on who you are apart from Christ, and then you gather on Good Friday and Easter morning to remind you that you are not dust, that in Christ you are chosen, and you are precious, and you are loved. You were adopted as heirs to the throne of grace, that all of his inheritance will be shared with you, 100% of his inheritance will be given to you. You're far more than dust. You're sons and daughters of the king of kings. Lent is designed to do this with us. So for 40 days, six and a half weeks before Easter, during this time the church engages typically in a 40-day fast, Sundays are normally traditionally excluded. Those are days of celebration. An imitation of Jesus fasting in the wilderness before he began his public ministry. So Jesus fasts for 40 days, right? And the, the fast of Lent is meant to imitate that. And during this time of Lent, traditionally, Christians would give up food from morning until night. And then they would break the fast each day in community together. They would gather together in the evenings at the church or in each other's homes. And they would eat together every day for 40 days with the exclusion of Sunday. However, fasting in our culture today has become almost forgotten by many. A few months ago, we preached uh, in, in the, a series that we did here at Flourishing Grace called The Path of Flourishing. We talked about the importance of fasting. And I asked the question, how many of you guys have fasted in the past week? And nobody raised their hand. Like, okay, how many of you have fasted in the past month? Nobody we guys have fasted in the past year? And there was like maybe two hands, and I wasn't even sure if they were being honest or if they just felt so guilty by that point that they just put their hand up. Not sure. But a few hands went up at that time. This was not so in Jesus' day. In first century Israel, fasting was common among the devout Jews and even in other religions. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what Jesus says about fasting. As we enter this time of fasting, as we enter the season of Lent, We're going to look at what Jesus says about fasting. Um, Before I do that, I forgot, if you are interested in learning more about the church calendar, We have a Bible reading plan here at Flourishing Grace that actually follows the church calendar. Uh, There's a stack of these bookmarks out on that uh, table out there right by the front door. And on the first one, or maybe it's the second one actually, the second second one of these bookmarks, uh, there is the church calendar, right? You have all the seasons. You have Advent, which of course is Christmas time. And you have Christmas tide, which is Christmas Day and that following week. And then you have Epiphany, which is when we begin this series in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and then Lent is a season that we're going into now, Easter Tide, Pentecost, and then of course the most creative name, Ordinary Time. Um, and then on the back, it talks about all what the church calendar is and this, how, why this scripture reading plan follows the church calendar. And so going into Lent, this is a great thing to pick up today and begin uh, reading along with that. Anyways, back to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. This is our text for this morning. Jesus says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites who disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. There's that language again. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. All right. So the Pharisees in Jesus' day, that's who he's talking to when he says the hypocrites. He's talking about the Pharisees. All right. Um, And everybody knows it. The Pharisees practiced fasting traditionally two days a week, Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, This was not thought to be like a religious command, not something you have to do, but an option, a choice. This is a choice. You can choose to fast. However, the reason the Pharisees chose to fast is not about deepening their relationship with God, but rather displaying their false righteousness to the world around them. Two days a week, they would look gloomy. They'd be disheveled. They'd kind of mess up their hair. Maybe they wouldn't button all the buttons. They'd kind of be just be like, just kind of down, a little grouchy, right? So everybody would know, oh, he's fasting. Look how spiritual he is. He's so oh, he's just so mature and his fast. like they wanted everybody to know, I'm that good. I'm, I'm that righteous." They wanted recognition, not repentance. They wanted praise, not penance. They wanted everybody to see who they were. Jesus talked about this. actually, he uses a parable. He uses this in a parable um, in Luke 18, uh, talking about two, two men going up to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Jesus puts it this way. He says in Luke 18, this is verse 10 through 12, it would be up here on the screen. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, I'm, I'm better than everybody else, I'm going to go do my own thing, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes at all that I get. Right? The Pharisee, even in the parable, Jesus is saying, look, he's bragging that he fasts twice a week. Like this is the tradition. This is what we do. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. Right? This is the culture of the Pharisees in that Day, in that time, is to practice their righteousness before others so that everybody would see, so that God would take note of how amazing and how awesome they are. They kind of stick out their chest and puff themselves up and say, man, look how good I am. And Jesus says, back in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 16 of chapter 6, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. They will receive exactly what they're looking for. They'll get it. So often we wonder, man, why why do people who do the wrong things actually get what they want? Jesus says, oh, yeah, they're going to get exactly what they want. They will receive their reward. People will admire their devotion. Even if that devotion is simply to their own self, people will recognize them and think highly of them. But God will not. God will not. People around them will say, wow, that's impressive, But God says. That's pathetic. It's pathetic. And if you fast forward into our culture in the way that we've kind of taken Lent and turned it into something, right? The question of Lent is, hey, what are you giving up for Lent? And the real question is, how about you ask me what I'm giving up for Lent, right? And then we've turned it into these pathetic things like I'm giving up chocolates, right? Or, or, or whatever it may be. It's like these, these small little things that have no real effect on the depth of your soul, And really all we want is to be able to say, look, look how spiritual I am. I haven't been to church in a year, but I'm giving up chocolate for Lent. Good for you. Um, God says, I don't care. I don't care if you eat chocolate or not. I want you, I want your soul, I, I, want, I, want to, I want to delight in you, I want you to draw near to me. This is the point, this is the purpose, I want you to, I want to prepare your soul for the next 40 days, that you might see the goodness and the splendor and the work and the majesty of the gospel on display in Good Friday and Easter. Jesus, on the other hand, was known for not fasting, I didn't say he didn't fast. He did fast. He fasted for 40 days in the beginning of his ministry. But he was actually known for not fasting. This was something that kind of took people, um, kind, of, kind of took people, like just kind of surprised people in that day. They didn't know how to react to this. We see this in Matthew 9, 14 through 15, when the, the disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus. It reads this way. It says, the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we fast? And the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast. I I don't get it. I'm hungry. They're hungry. But your disciples, they're they're just partying. Like what what gives? Jesus says to them, can a wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will Fast. Jesus makes it clear that they do not need to fast. His disciples do not need to fast because he is with them. The source of all power and all joy is right there in their midst. They are free to feast. They're free to feast, not fast. He's with them. They can indulge and delight in him. They can experience the fullness of his presence right there. They don't need to fast. However, at the same time, he makes it clear that the time is coming when his disciples will fast. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he's giving them instructions as to how this should be done. The purpose of his, of his what he says in the Sermon on the Mount is not to say whether or not they should fast, but whether how they should fast. If you look at verse 17, back in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, Matthew 6, verse 17, Jesus says it this way: He says, "But when you fast, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others." But by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will, will sorry, your father who sees in secret will reward you. The text, again, the text is not telling us whether or not we should fast. Jesus says, when you fast, he simply assumes you will fast. The great preacher John Wesley said it this way once: He said, The man that never fast is no more on the way to heaven than the man that never prays. For Wesley, there was a time. There was a time in the church when it was just was assumed if you're a Christian, you practice fasting. Like, of course you do, right? Just like right now, I'd say, I mean, if you never pray, you're probably not a follower of Jesus. Like, if you if you never pray, not fo- Wesley would say the same thing about fasting. I mean, if you never fast, how can you possibly be a follower of Jesus? There was a time when it was just assumed that that is what we. Fasting is to be a much part of the Christian life as praying. As it was once just a basic assumption that if you're a Christian, you practice fasting. So the question being answered in a sermon amount, again, is not should we fast, but rather how should we fast? The true goal of fasting is to be seen by God, not by other men. The true goal of fasting is to be seen by God, not by other men. Now, this is important. There is a big difference between being seen fasting and fasting to be seen. Do you hear the difference? There's a big difference between being seen fasting and fasting to be seen. What Jesus is getting at here, people take this text way, 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 way too far. And they say, man, if anybody finds out that I'm fasting, right, then my fast is ruined. It doesn't count. It doesn't, that's not what he's saying, right? Jesus says, man, if, you, if, if when you fast, wash your face and anoint your head with oil, right? So now people, right, now, now people are like, all right, I got to wash my face. If I don't wash my face, my fast doesn't count. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, just don't look like a slob, man. Like, just don't, don't like put on a show for people, right? If you anoint your head with oil, okay, listen, in our day, in our culture, that's weird, Okay? People are going to know you're fasting, right? It's the opposite of what Jesus said. The, the point, the purpose of what he's trying to communicate is don't fast to be seen. If people find out that you're fasting, that's okay. It's okay. That's, that's just like part of life. If you're, if you're like, if your boss is like, hey, let's go out to lunch. You're like, okay, but I'm, I'm just not going to eat anything today. He's like, why? And he's like, well, I just, I'm just not hungry. No, no, no. It's, it's, on, it's on me. It's on the company. Come, come on. No, no, no. Like it just, you're making it weird. Just say, listen, I'm fasting. am fasting. It's Lent. Not a big deal. Jesus is saying, that's okay. In fact, it's okay for the church to fast together. Often people fast together. Christians would fast together, and they would just know. I mean, this is what we're doing. We're doing this together. We are entering into into a season of prayer and fasting together as a church or as a small group. And that's not, that's okay. It's not fasting to be seen, it's just being seen fasting. Those are two different things. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, uh, said this once. He said, our seasons of fasting and prayer uh, at the tabernacle, which was his church in London, the metropolitan tabernacle of London, um, our days of fasting and prayer have been high days indeed. Never have heaven's gates stood wider, and never have our hearts been near to the central glory, Spurgeon says. Man, he says, man, when our church f- prayed and fasted together, those were the sweetest days. And if you know anything about the history of Spurgeon and what happened in London during those days at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, they were insane days indeed. Insane days. And, and so Spurgeon says, man, the, the best of those days were when we fasted and prayed together as a church. You think that they didn't know? that the people sitting around them were fasting? Of course they knew. They they knew what was going on. That's not the point. That's not the point. The purpose of fasting is not to be seen by men, but to be seen by God. It must be marked with a deep humility. The purpose of fasting is to increase our hunger for God. And when that happens, when our hunger for God increases, big things tend to happen in our lives. When that happens within the church, big things tend to happen within the church. As the church increases in their hunger with God, big prayers tend to be answered. As a church increases in their hunger for God, the spirit begins to move in power in mighty ways in people's lives and throughout the life of the church. As a, as a church begins to hunger more for God, spiritual transformation explodes inside the walls of the church and outside of the walls of church. As we pray and fast, as we fast and we pray for our one, God begins to move in powerful ways as our hunger for him increases. We fast in order to feast on Christ. We fast in order to feast on Christ. In our fasting, our hunger reminds us of our need for Christ. You don't need This is why this is why this is why listen, if you gave up chocolate for Lent, I'm sorry. I'm 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 Ripping you today. But this is why it doesn't, it doesn't do what it needs to do. Listen, you need to feel the loss of something. Chocolate's just not going to do that for your soul. Okay? It's just not. You need to feel the loss of something. And when you realize that, man, I need food to survive, it reminds you in that moment that no, what you actually need more than you need food is Christ. Without Christ, your marriage is dust. Without Christ, you have nothing to offer your kids except for dust. Without Christ, you have nothing to offer your friends except for dust. Like, you have nothing. You have nothing to offer. Apart from Christ, we are emptied of, of all power. There is nothing that I have to give you to. There's nothing that I have to offer you unless Christ is the one filling me. I need him more than I need food. Fasting reminds us of our need for him. In every moment, of all times, of every day, in every way, we need Christ. Without Christ, you are dust. Dust is all you will ever accomplish. And to dust you shall return. In fasting, our hunger reminds us of our delight in Christ. In the absence of food, in the pain of hunger, we we are reminded how sweet our Savior is. The joy of knowing Him. That all of the real substance and all of the real goodness and all of the real delight in our life, all of the real joy comes from Him. The rest is just a celebration of dust. The real, meaningful, deep joy must come from Him alone. And fasting reminds us of that. When God is the supreme hunger of your heart, he will be supreme in everything in your life. When you love God more than you love food, good things are gonna happen. That's a sweet place to be. When you train yourself, and you work to love Jesus more than you love food, that, that is exactly where the Christian should want to be. And so he, what would it look like for us here at Flourishing Grace to engage in the season of Lent Together? to fast together, to be people who say, man, I want to love Jesus more than I love food. And if you, if you, if you say that, you say, man, I, I love Jesus more than I love food, prove it. It's easier to say it than it is to actually live it out. So what would it look like for the next six weeks here at Flourishing Grace, lead up to Easter, we said, man, let's just work to be a community that loves Jesus more than we love food. What if we tw- fasted twice a week, not to be seen by others, but to be seen by God, to draw near to him, to delight in him, to increase our hunger for him. Here's what we're going to do at Flourishing Grace. Two days a week, if, you are, if you're in, if you want to do this, two days a week, we're going to send out a text just to remind you, hey, we are fasting together. Two days a week, we're fasting together. And to give you kind of a prayer prompt a prayer, to kind in of, two things. Kind of, It'll send you to a unique webpage where it'll kind of give you two buckets to pray in. One is kind of a Lenten bucket. Hey, let's prepare our hearts for Lent. Let's pray that God would remind us of who He is and who we are apart from Him. Let's pray that prayer together that we might prepare our hearts and prepare our souls for Good Friday and for Easter. But then another prayer for the prayer of the church so every, every Wednesday night around 5 p.m., right? It's, rem, it's a reminder that from Wednesday night after dinner until Thursday dinner time, we are fasting. So every, thir- every Wednesday, you're going to receive a, the prayer request of the church. So the prayer request that you wrote down this morning will go out to everybody saying, hey, let's, let's pray for our church, let's pray for the people who are sitting around the room. So a prayer for preparation and a prayer for intercession. Let's intercede. Let's intercede for those sitting around us. And then every Saturday at dinner time, a reminder that after dinner, we are fasting from Saturday night to Sunday night. We're going to pray prayers of preparation and prayers of intercession. Prayers for our church, for the community around us, to say, God, would you move in this season, in this sixth weeks in this time of Lent? Would you increase my hunger for you? Would you increase the church's hunger for you? Would you increase the culture's hunger for you? That we might see you do great things over the next six weeks. So here it is. There's a slide. If you text, if you pull out your phone, you can can do this right now. Pull out your phone. I'll do it with you. Let's use it together. If you text... 97000. 0, 0, 0, 9700. 0, 0, 0. And then in the body of the text, you just put FGC Lent, Nothing else, just FGC Lent, FGC L E N T and send. You'll know it worked because you'll hear a sound like I just heard. And, oh, and you'll, you'll receive some a confirmation saying, hey, hey, you, you you're signed up. And so we are not, I want to make this really clear. We're not going to send you a million texts, okay? And as soon as Lent's over, this is over, okay? Uh, two, two texts a week. You Is it working? Okay. There was, like a, there was like a little murmur going. I was like, oh, no, we've botched it up. Um, you'll receive two texts a week for the next six weeks, and then, and then that's it. We're not going to abuse your phone number. I hate that, okay? So it's just not going to happen here. Um, but we just want to be... The reality is we just want to be a community that does this together. We just want to fast together and pray together. And so next Sunday, starting Saturday night, uh, we'll we'll start this Wednesday. But next Saturday night, we're going to fast from Saturday to Sunday night. and we're going to break it together in community. We'll be right here. We're going to worship. We're going to have a dinner together. We're just going to praise God. Just pray that he would move in our souls and move within our church. Does that make sense? All right. Let me pray for you all. Jesus, we come before you this morning and I just pray, I pray that right now that you would do a work in us, that you would increase our desire for you, that we'd say, man, I wanna take my relationship with Jesus seriously. No no more of this saying, I'm gonna do it and then never doing it. No more of saying, man, I'm gonna begin to read my Bible and then I I do it for a day or two or a week and then it's over. No no more, no, I'm gonna commit to loving Jesus more than I love food. I'm going to commit to engaging in community, to engage with my small group, to engage with my church for the sake of the gospel. I want to pray. I want to fast. I want to contend for the needs of the church and contend for the needs of my city, to contend for the needs of my neighbors, to contend for the needs of my coworkers, to intercede on their behalf, to lift up the prayers of others so that the prayers of many might be answered together. I just pray that as we enter into this season, that it would be a season of deep celebration, as we celebrate and as we see you responding to the prayers of your church, that right now, this morning, we just begin to pray. For the next six weeks, we'd be a people who pray constantly and regularly and hard. Help us. Help us to move near you, to hunger for you, to thirst for you, rather than the things of this world. pray these things in your name in the sweet name of Jesus, amen.